Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, verse uh, 21, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it, it goes on, the scripture goes on, to describe various ways that believers in different roles are to submit themselves one to another. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, you understand that, that these ideas of subjection go back, you know, they're not, they're not unique now in this dispensation. They go back, really, all the way back to Adam and Eve. But the point is, there is a new, now that we understand what Christ has accomplished and we understand who we are in Christ, there's a, there's a new meaning in marriage that wasn't there from the beginning. And you see here it talks about, it, it makes the comparison of comparing wives to the church and the husband as the Lord, as Christ. And we, we continue on then in verse 25 today. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And verse 29 says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Uh, Let's finish out the chapter. It says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, often when, when these topics of, of headship and submission come up, and it's, you know, it's few churches that teach anything about, about headship and submission in marriage today, but, but when it comes up, uh, it, it tends to be true that many churches put the most emphasis on the wife and the wife's duty and the wife's role. And, and you saw in that previous study that we did, uh, it places a responsibility here on wives to submit themselves to their husbands in the same way the church is to be submitted to Christ. Uh, it says that, that the wives are to be subject to their husbands in everything. But one thing you might notice in the passage is it spends about three verses talking to the wives and it spends a lot more verses talking to the husbands. Uh, in fact, if the, you know, if the wife's role is to reflect who the church is to Christ, the husband's role is to reflect who Christ is to the church. And that's a, a much greater responsibility that God places on, on the husbands. In fact, throughout God's word, when God grants greater authority to someone, which he does to the husband, there's also much greater responsibility that goes along with that. And so the, you know, when you think about, when you think about the church, and the church, certainly we have a duty to be subject to Christ, but 
we, because of our, our flesh, we don't fulfill that duty. But Christ always fulfills his duty to the church, right? Christ always fulfills his role. And, and so, you know, the wife, again, the wife reflects the church, but the husband is to reflect Christ himself. And so verse 25 says to husbands that they are to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And, you know, that's the kind of love it's talking about here. Love, the kind of love that you find in this passage is not a feeling that you get. It's not even something that you fall into. Right? People say, we, we fell in love. This is not something you fall into or something that happens to you. You see, love here is, a, is an action. It's telling you to take action. It says, husbands, love your wives. That's a, that's a verb. Right? That's an action word. And it says that the way that a husband is to love his wife is the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The, the scripture, you know, in the, in the Gospels, it says that greater, man, greater love hath no man than this, that, that uh, he lay down his life for his friends. And, you know, that's a, that's a great deal of love. But actually, you know, when you get into Paul's epistles, in fact, go hold a hand here and go back to the book of Romans. Go back to uh, Romans chapter 5 and... You know, while, while in the Gospels it said that, that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, Romans 5 says, that's talking, about, that's talking about human love there, but Romans 5 says in uh, verse 6, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, when... when, uh, we think about the truth of the gospel, realize Christ didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. He died for the ungodly. He died for sinners. He died for those without strength. And that's the kind of love that is to be reflected in the love of a husband for his wife. Now, hopefully, your wife isn't your enemy. (laughs) Hopefully, your wife isn't your enemy. But even if she were, the verse says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And, you know, what Christ did in that was Christ saw what our need was. All right? We, nobody ever asked God to come and take on human flesh and die for them to pay for their sins. No, no person would have even ever thought of that. Uh, you know, when, when man tries on his own to, to think of some way of salvation, it's not something that looks like what, what you know, God did there. In fact, most people, most people assume that everybody else needs to be saved, but they're, they're okay. You know, they look out at the evil of the world and, and might lament how evil the world is, but they assume, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. And, what, you know, we never would have even thought to ask God and ask Christ to love us in that way, to die for us. But what he did was he was able to, to see what our need was, and he fulfilled that. He fulfilled that need. He paid the price for our sins so that we could have eternal life as a free gift. Because if it, if it didn't come as a free gift, there was no way you or I was ever going to get it. 
right? I mean, if it, it doesn't matter what it was, even if God made it easy. If he told us something to do to do it, we wouldn't have done it, right? And, uh, I mean, think, think about how easy it was for Adam and Eve, and he gave them really just, just one instruction, and they couldn't follow that, all right? And, and so this love that Christ had for us, that, again, is the love that a husband is to have for his wife. Now, understand that, uh, you know, a husband is not going to fulfill that perfectly, just as the wife is not going to fulfill her role perfectly. But what Paul's presenting here is the, the goal, okay? And he's calling us to look at marriage in a new way, to, to look at marriage as not just something to just find some way to make it work, but to look at marriage as something that can glorify God and be a picture, a living picture of what Christ accomplished. He says here that, that Christ gave himself for the church. And you realize that in marriage, you are giving of yourself. Uh, in marriage, what, what you're doing, what you're agreeing to do, is that no longer are you going to live just as, a, as an independent individual who only has to think about themselves, but now you're going to be in this union with another person that is such a, such a close union that the scripture describes it as being one flesh. You see, and and now uh, it's not going to be just about you know what do I have to do to get along, but it's what do I have to do to give of myself to that to that other person, and that's the kind of love that's being described here. Now, verse twenty six is describing what Christ did for the church. It, it says in verse twenty six that He might sanctify and cleanse it. Now, the the word that, um, especially when you find it at the beginning of a of a verse like this, it indicates purpose, right? It says this happened that this might happen. And it's saying, you know, the first thing had to take place with the purpose that the second thing would take place. So it says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Without Christ loving the church and without him giving himself for it, there's no way for Christ to sanctify and cleanse the church. And so he gave of himself so that he could, he could sanctify. That word sanctify means to set apart. And you realize that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has set you apart from the rest of the world. He has set you apart from your lost friends and neighbors and, and family members. And you are set apart as something special unto God. That's what, a, that's what a man does when he marries a woman, is he sets her apart from all other women and says, this, this is my wife. You see, he sanctifies her, he sets her apart. And it says here that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, water is used there in a, in a figurative sense. You, you see it because it says by the word. Um, it, it's not talking about a, you know, a physical washing of water, but it's talking about that by the word of God, we're, we're sanctified and we're cleansed by the truth of God's word, by the truth of the gospel. And that's what God has done for the church. It, it, verse 27 then says that, again, there's that, that purpose, there's a progression here. Christ loved the church, he gave himself for it, he sanctifies and cleanses it, that... So another purpose, with the purpose that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, let me ask you, as you read 
verse 27, and it talks about him presenting the church to himself without spot or wrinkle, that it would be holy and without blemish. When you look at the church, when you look at your fellow members of the body of Christ, do you see any blemishes? Do you see any spots and wrinkles? And, you know, physically we see spots and wrinkles, but you understand it's talking here spiritually. Uh, Do you see those things? But you see what, what God has done with the church, what Christ has done with the church, is that when he looks at that church, because it's something that he has set apart to himself, he doesn't, he doesn't see the spots and wrinkles and blemishes. Okay. Now, there's a, there's a lesson in that for marriage. Because Christ isn't, Christ isn't delusional. It's not as if he's deluded himself into thinking that we don't have any blemishes. It's not as if he, he just you know, overlooks the fact that we have those blemishes. All right. What it is, is that Christ has reckoned some things to be true of us. Uh, go, go back to the book of Romans again. Go back to Romans chapter 4. Now, you realize that when, when you understand what these verses are talking about, that any verse that talks about the love that Christ has for the church is a verse that you can apply to marriage. And any verse that talks about the responsibility that the church has to Christ is a verse that you can apply to marriage, right? Because it's, the one is a picture of the other. Uh, here in Romans chapter 4, it says in, in uh, verse... Well, look at, look at verse 5. First of all, it says, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You see that word justify there? In fact, go back to Romans chapter 3 as well. And, and here's another one. Romans chapter 3, um, verse 21 says, But now, verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Verse 26 says, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, as it talks about justification there, justification, to justify, means to set forth as righteous or to declare righteous, all right? The the word justify is used in a lot of different ways in the Bible. In some verses, it talks about how people try to justify themselves. Well, when somebody's trying to justify themselves, what are they doing? They're saying, I'm righteous, okay? Now, in these verses, though, it's not somebody justifying themselves, but rather it is God on the basis of what Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary. It's God justifying the believer, saying, I count you as righteous. Now, justify does not mean to make righteous, okay? That a lot of times how you define these words uh, is a is an important thing. Um, justify, you know, certainly when we believed the gospel, God actually imputed righteousness to us. Now, does that mean we always do righteous things? The answer is no. 
But you see that this righteousness is not determined by our works. It's determined by what Christ accomplished on Calvary. And so it's not earned by our works. It's not kept by our works. You can't lose it by your works. It's completely based on the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And what God does is when he looks at us as believers, and I, and I hope that you are believers here this morning, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have this righteousness we're talking about and you're without hope. But for those that are believers, when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, God looks at you as if you have the same righteousness that Christ has. In fact, the Bible says you're placed into Christ. And you become a member of the body of Christ. And God actually takes that, that, you know, that old nature, that it describes it uh, in Romans 6 as the, the body of sin, and he cuts it away and, and separates it away from you in such a way that what, what God sees when he looks at you is he sees Christ's righteousness. Okay? Now that is an act, that is a willing act on the part of God. Again, he's not delusional. He hasn't deceived himself into thinking that we have no sin, but he willingly chooses to view us in that way on the basis of what Christ accomplished for us. So when we take that and we apply it back to our text, what's What's the scripture trying to say here about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 and the, and the, the role of the husband? Why, why is it important to bring up here in this passage about Christ sanctifying and cleansing the church and presenting it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish? The same way there is a willing act on the part of God to view us as being completely holy and righteous before him, that's a role of a husband toward his wife. Not to be focusing on the spots and wrinkles and blemishes. Not to be focusing on the, the, the faults and those kinds of things. But for a man to willingly choose to view his wife as being set apart unto him, cleansed and whole, that word holy means set apart as well. And without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, all right? Just as Christ has done to the church, that's a, a man's role toward his wife. And, you know, it, anything, when you start looking, anything that, that man has any part in, uh, when you, if you're going to look for faults and blemishes, you're going to find them, right? I mean, if you're going to, even you take something that is the, you know, the, the most perfect that you can imagine, and you look close enough and you're going to find blemishes. You're going to find faults. But thank God that that's not the way he looks at us. And you see, that's, that's what is being taught here for a husband to look at his wife in that same way. That woman that you've set apart from all other women, that you have sanctified and, and set apart to yourself and presented to yourself, view her as something glorious. View her as without spot or wrinkle or, or blemish. And so verse 28 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. You know, there's something that often happens in marriages. And, and as I've looked at a, you know, a lot of different couples and, and their marriages, it's, it's easy often for for the two people in that marriage to become in competition with one another, right? And, and to, you know, if, if 
if she lets him have his way this time, she better get her way the next time, right? And it's like a, it's like a competition to, to see who can get the, mo- get the other one to give the most. And you see, the Bible presents a very different picture than that of what marriage ought to be, is that those two people in that marriage ought to view themselves as one flesh. And especially here, as, as the husband is being instructed, that he ought to love his wife as his own body. Now, our... You know, our bodies cause us a lot of trouble, but we we love our bodies pretty well, right? I mean, think about how much time we put into taking care of our bodies, feeding our bodies, dressing up our bodies, uh, cleaning our bodies, all, you know, all those things we do, medicating our bodies, all, all those different things that we do. We put a lot of effort into our bodies. And unfortunately, we, we often don't put as much effort into... The, that one flesh, that union of the marriage, as we do in our own individual physical bodies. But the idea here is that the man is to love his wife the same way he loves his own flesh. And, and you know, so, so we often do, you know, we'll, we'll put aside and, you know, put aside some things in order to do things that fulfill our flesh, right? Here it's saying a man ought to take that same care for his wife as he takes for his own flesh, and to realize that she is his own flesh. It says that no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. And it says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You know that often our, our own, here's it talks about a man not hating his own flesh and, and, and that kind of thing. You know that often our own um, insecurities about ourselves wind up being being displayed in how we deal with other people. And you know that when you see a man who has no respect for his wife and who, uh, you know, abuses and mistreats his wife, whether it be physically or emotionally, I, I can guarantee you that man has a lot of problems going on in, inside himself, see? Um, uh, you know, a man who is, who is confident and, and, you know, secure in himself, he doesn't have to treat somebody else like that. Uh, but you see here that uh, the, the, the Christian man is called to love his wife the same way he loves his own flesh. The same way that he'll put effort into, into maintaining and, and, and doing things that even just are, are pleasurable to that, that flesh, that body. He needs to take the same thought for his wife. Um, and again, it, it relates it back to the church. That's the same way the Lord deals with the church. Now, you know, you hear a lot of people today talk about how uh, they'll say, you know, that churches, churches emphasize doctrine too much, right? And, and they'll say, we need, more, we need more practical teaching. But realize that what you believe when it comes to doctrine is going to be reflected in how you live your practical daily life. It's no accident that in, in uh, all of these, these uh, general epistles here in the Scripture that the doctrine is laid out first and the practical application is laid out later. You see, the, having a Christian marriage and having a, a godly marriage that reflects who Christ is is dependent on understanding some doctrine about who Christ is and what he's accomplished and what he's done for the church and what the relationship between the church and Christ is. Right Now, I, I would agree that sometimes churches are guilty of not taking the doctrine and then applying it to the practical things. Certainly, certainly that happens. But you see here how, as Paul's giving this practical instruction about marriage, he keeps bringing it back to the Lord and the church. 
And so if you don't have some understanding about those things, about who Christ is and what he's accomplished and, and who he's made the church to be, these, these instructions, the practical instruction, really doesn't mean anything. Um, here, you see, he brings it back to, to the Lord and the church. And uh, he says that, that the man nourishes and cherishes his flesh. You do that by nature, right? When your flesh gets hungry, you feed it. When your flesh, need, when, it's, when it's cold, you try and make it warmer. When it's too hot, you try and make it cooler. Uh, you, you just by nature do that. The thing is, it's not natural when it comes to doing that to another person and, and having that same care for them. And that's, again, where it takes this, this act of the will, this love that is an action to say, I'm going to put the needs of that other person above what I want. And that's what Christ does for the church. When you consider that Christ, he, he left aside the glory that he had with the Father from before the foundation of the world to come and be born into this world, into a, a body of flesh, to be made in likeness as a man, and not only that, but to be rejected and to suffer and to die a, a, a terrible death at the hands of his own creation. And why would he do that? He did that because of the love that he had for you and I. That's the same role that a husband is to take toward his wife. Now, I, you know, the, the, when it talks about submitting here, you know, usually when they talk about submission, they're talking to the wife. But I would submit to you that for a husband to be to his wife what the church is to Christ, that's submission as well. It's a different kind of submission. Right? When, I mean, even when Christ came into the world, those men who rejected him, they, by right, they had a duty to obey him and worship him, and they didn't do it, and they, instead they rejected him and killed him. But they had a duty, because he was the one in authority. Their duty was to, to worship him, and they refused to do it. And so for Christ to submit himself to us in that way is very different than the way we submit ourselves to Christ. When we submit ourselves to him, we're just doing what's right. When he submitted himself to us, he was going beyond what was right. I mean, it would have been right for him to just destroy the world. It would have been right for him to judge man's sin and not provide any way of salvation. But he went beyond that, and he loved us. And so you see, the submission of a wife to her husband is very different from the submission of a husband toward, toward the wife. Uh, the wife is submitting from a position of subjection. The husband is submitting from a position of authority. But... Do, you know, when you see what Christ did for the church, often, you know, the kind of, the kind of love that's described here, uh, the world looks at that for a husband to submit his, himself to his wife in that way and love him, his wife in that way, the world looks at that as weakness, right? There, there are men in the world that would look at that and they would see a man who, who serves his wife in that way as, as described here, and they would see it as complete, complete weakness and they would even despise that man. But let me ask you, when Christ submitted himself there on the cross of Calvary for us, was it, was it weakness? Was it out of weakness he did it? it? He had the power, he had the strength at any moment to rectify that situation. But out of love, he chose to pay the price there for us. That's, that's strength, that's not weakness. That's strength. And again, that's what the, the husband is called to here in this passage, to nourish and cherish his wife with the same kind of care that he nourishes and cherishes his own, own flesh. It says, even as the Lord the church, at the end of verse 29, verse 30 says, for we are members of his body, 
of his flesh and of his bones. That's the, the, uh, the reference there to flesh and bone. And you see it in verse 31. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and, they shall be, and he shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's a, that's a quote. Verse 31 is a quote back to uh, Genesis at the very first marriage where, where Adam and Eve are joined in marriage. And Adam says, this is now flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Uh, she should be called woman because she was taken out of man. And, he's, and then he uh, says the verse that's quoted there in verse 31 about a man leaving his father and his mother. And the, you know, that, that becoming one flesh was, a, was something that was set down right there uh, from, the, from the creation for man and woman in marriage. But you see, now, now that we know what Christ has accomplished and we know who we are in Christ, there's even an additional significance to that. Because we are made members of Christ's body. When a person believes the gospel, they are so joined to Christ that they become a member of his body. And here it says, of his flesh and of his bones. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.